0: I'm Jason Lewis,
1: and I'm Flora Gladwin,
0: and I'm Thomas Mills. Welcome to Climate Optimus. As a couple concerned citizens, we're on a journey to explore climate solutions and ways each of us can make a difference.
1: As a nonprofit focused on educating and empowering people to get involved in climate action, we rely on the financial support of our listeners. So if you're a regular listener and you value what you get from us, consider a donation that aligns with that value.
2: All you have to do is head over to our website, climateoptimist.co and click the donate button. And even $5 a month goes a long way to help us deliver our mission. But if you are short of cash, but still want to help us out, just have your friends subscribe and rate us on your streaming platform.
0: Thanks, guys. Yeah, we, uh, we really rely on you guys to help, help us spread our, our podcast. So the more that you can you know, give us good reviews and spread the word to your friends, it, it makes a huge difference. And speaking of podcasts, if you're looking for an extra podcast to download for, let's say, your upcoming road trip, we have a recommendation for you. When the People Decide is a podcast about how everyday people are shaping democracy and how you can too. The first season was about people who use ballot initiatives to bring issues that they care about directly to fellow voters, often bypassing state legislators who stood in their way. The second season, which starts July 17th, looks at cities and towns that are strengthening democracy at a local level. Learn about how residents of Petaluma, California, won the Democracy Lottery, and how Durham, North Carolina, is turning over a portion of its budget to residents to spend. The podcast is a project of the McCourtney Institute for Democracy at Penn State and produced by LWC Studios. Encourage folks to uh, go check it out.
1: Yeah, definitely worth the listen. Whew, so for this week's topic. We were just talking about how even five years ago, seeing a Tesla in some places was similar to Elon Musk going a week without tweeting something controversial (laughs) or a Republican member of Congress voting for a climate bill. In other words, it was very, very rare. You know, nowadays in 2023, the picture is obviously very different. Teslas and increasingly electric vehicles from other manufacturers can be found almost anywhere. So as we race to cut our emissions by half before 2030... EVs represent a critical part of the solution, especially in developed countries where transportation often makes up 25% or more of total emissions. And though we've talked electric vehicles before on this podcast, we thought today it might be time for an update on where things stand, challenges remaining, and of course, what to consider when buying one.
0: And before we dig into the details, want to highlight this week's reason for hope, which is that the shipping industry has set a course to uh, phase out its greenhouse gas emissions. No uh, no pun intended. Would that be pun? <laughs> what would that be? That's a Word pun. Play? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the deal came at a, at a meeting of the International Maritime Organization, uh, ironically following the hottest day ever recorded on the planet, uh, this last 4th of July. The targets are unfortunately non-binding, but they call for a 20% reduction in emissions by 2030, uh, 70% by 2040, and net zero by 2050. You know, more is definitely needed uh, for shipping to do its part. According to the Clean Shipping Coalition, uh, a 50% cut by 2030 is both possible and affordable, which, you know, as most folks know, is kind of where we're aiming for in order to, to limit emissions to that 1.5 degrees Celsius mark. So I, I don't know. I feel like it was incremental progress. Thomas what are your what are your thoughts
2: too little too late Jason I don't know uh, I, I I think that um, the, the shipping industry needs a bit of a makeover similar to what we've seen with electric vehicles I think as we've all sort of seen by the great progress made by the likes of Tesla and the Chinese EV manufacturing it's about making the decision to fully commit to decarbonizing rather than um, sort of taking small steps now. Where I'm going with this really is I'm thinking foiling ships. So we've already seen uh, companies like uh, Candela, who I think are a Swedish boat manufacturer, build speed boats that are foiling, i.e. that they have a normal hull, but they've got basically small wings that go into the water. And once they get above a certain speed, that enables the uh, ship or boat to lift its hull out of the water and dramatically reduces drag. So what that means is instead of building a great big ship that needs you know, 40,000 tons of batteries to go from the US to Australia, you're, you're building a ship that requires 10,000 tons of batteries to cover the same distance. Uh, the added, added benefit too is that often they're end up, they end up foiling at much higher speeds than they would if they were just sitting in the water. And so that may assist in allowing more freight that would otherwise go via air travel, which is even harder to decarbonize, to be taken as sea freight.
0: You know, I know it's, uh, it's early days when it comes to taking, you know, big ships and, and making them hydrofoil, but I, I think it'd be pretty amazing to see, you know, shipping vessels go in that direction. I mean, you look at what's happened to, you know, massive sailboats and others. I mean, for folks who aren't familiar with what a, a ship with a hydrofoil looks like. Just Google it. It's pretty amazing. So pivoting to our main topic, before we get into electric vehicles benefits, what you should consider when buying, you know, debunking some of the myths, we thought it would be important to kind of set some context on, you know, why shifting to electric vehicles really matters. In the United States, for folks who may not be aware, transportation is now our largest source of emissions. Now, obviously, that contains things like shipping that we just talked about, aviation, but if you just look at cars and trucks it's still about 23% of our total emissions if you look at just passenger vehicles the ones that you know all of us drive you're talking still 17%. so that's a huge chunk and a critical part of us being able to decarbonize and a part where we already have the technology and it's readily available. you know when you look globally it's still a pretty significant number, you know 12% of Global emissions are tied to cars and trucks. So even outside the U.S., there's there's a ton of opportunity. The other thing that I think that's worth studying context on and, and doesn't get talked about enough is, is the air pollution that we all breathe from burning fossil fuels. You know, roughly 8 million people a year die prematurely because of inhaling, you know, particulate matter associated with burning fossil fuels you know that's more for context more deaths than you know annual deaths than cigarettes and malaria combined so there's obviously huge climate benefits associated with moving away from you know internal combustion engines but it's important too not to forget the you know the other health benefits that that has for all of us especially folks who live you know next to major roadways so While EVs have gotten more popular, there are a lot of myths that are still out there. So we thought it might be worthwhile to spend a few minutes debunking some of those. Um, Flora, I know you did a little research on the topic.
1: Yeah, yeah. I thought this was such an interesting thing to get into. For some context, you know, Jason and Thomas, you know this, but for our listeners, I went to a super liberal, hippie tree hugging school in Portland Oregon for college. <laughs> I mean, totally, right? And even there, there was just an impressive amount of skepticism around EVs, you know, particularly Tesla that I would hear from my peers. And, you know, aside from the very obvious social aspect thanks to Elon, a huge part of that skepticism is due to misinformation about both the, you know, production and consequent emissions of electric vehicles. So I thought we could talk a little bit about, you know, what I think are two of the biggest that I hear. The first myth being that EVs are just as bad emission-wise as internal combustion engine vehicles are. And the second, that EVs rely on coal in a way that is really similar to internal combustion engine vehicles. And there's a great article that I know Jason and I have both checked out that's by a guy named Johnny Lieberman for Motor Trend. And it's called You're Being Lied To About Electric Cars. And definitely we're gonna link it for the episode. But I think one of the really interesting facts that or ideas I guess that Lieberman brought up was this idea of direct and indirect emissions, you know, which is meaning emissions that were created during the manufacturing process and those that are then emitted while driving the vehicle. So gas-powered cars obviously have both direct and indirect emissions. Meanwhile, electric vehicles only have those indirect emissions as they're outputting no greenhouse gases while driving is actually occurring. There's a great Yale study, which Lieberman cites in his paper, that says that about 74% of light vehicle CO2 emissions come after vehicle manufacturing when the car is actually being driven. So there's this really important point to consider when we're talking about, you know, the impact that EVs are having emission-wise, which is this idea of direct versus indirect.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I almost like to think of it in terms of manufacturing and operating emissions. And manufacturing an electric car today generates more emissions than manufacturing an internal combustion engine. When you get to that operating phase, because it's so much bigger in terms of its contribution, that's where the difference comes. So even though producing electricity to operate the electric vehicle does generate some emissions, it's dwarfed by the amount of emissions that an internal combustion engine creates you know burning the fuel
1: yeah definitely oh do it thomas oh look i was just Hit gonna pile,
2: i was gonna pile on like <laughs> basically in in the us it takes about if you go and buy a tesla model three it takes about a year's worth of driving th- that compared to a regular internal combustion car that you bought at the same time that's the same size um to make up for the emissions the additional emissions that occurred during the manufacturing of that vehicle. In Australia, you've got to, it takes a little bit longer. It's closer to two years because our, our grid's quite dirty. But if your electric vehicle has been made by somebody that really does give a damn about the planet and has worked hard to use renewable energy wherever possible in the manufacturing of them, it's really only about a year's worth of operation of that vehicle before you're ahead of buying an internal combustion.
1: No, that's, that's a great way to sum it up. And this second myth, I mean, I think really builds off of that, honestly, which is this idea that EVs rely on you know coal or fossil fuels in a way that's really similar to internal combustion engine vehicles. And the fact of the matter is that electric vehicles are just far, far more efficient. There's a statistic that 87 to 90 percent of energy in an electric vehicle's battery is sent to its wheels and meanwhile internal combustion engine vehicles only send about 16 to 25% of energy from gas burning to their wheels which is a massive amount of energy lost uh, in all sorts of other things so yeah i think there's there's honestly no comparison to be made there
2: yeah and i mean even in the situation in australia where we have one of the dirtiest grids in the world because we still have so much coal and gas on the grid here you know if you buy Let's say a Tesla Model 3, it's the equivalent of buying a, a, you know, running a petrol powered vehicle that gets over 50 miles per gallon. So, um, but the thing is with the electric vehicle, if you buy that electric vehicle today versus that 50 mile per gallon, you know, gasoline powered vehicle, with the grid improving year on year with more solar, more wind, more renewables coming online, there's a pathway for that to improve, but there is no pathway as you've discussed for the improvement in fossil fuels
1: yeah
0: so i think you guys have covered you know probably the two biggest rumors that are out there floating about electric vehicles but the other one that's kind of out there that um, i think gets a lot of attention in environmental circles is that you know batteries are sort of equally terrible for the environment um, as, as you know burning gasoline i think the first thing to keep in mind is that while mining certainly can have negative impacts and this extraction of raw materials to create the battery, that isn't the same as what we're talking about with climate change, you know? So no amount of mining is going to have the same sort of impact to the planet um, as climate change. We need to be mindful about how we mine these raw materials, but that shouldn't prevent us from doing what we need to, to, you know, to move forward with electric vehicles. The other thing that I think people often say related to batteries is that they can't be recycled. Well, that's, it's actually not the case. They aren't easy to recycle, but recycling is possible. And, you know, there are facilities that are working to ramp up. And the other benefit of that recycling is that once you've extracted enough, you know, let's say lithium to build the batteries that we need, then the recycling is feeding that back in so that you're not having to go out and, and pull more raw materials from the ground. So again batteries are you know have environmental problems for sure they're not perfect but i think we we really just need to keep it in the context of of the problems associated there and, and what we're facing with climate change because the two are not the same
2: and because they, they are made out of relatively high value uh, raw materials that puts a value on them for recycling it it incentivizes companies to set up facilities to take those products back and re- repurpose them i take Um, J.B. Straubel, for example, who a few years ago left Tesla, he was a chief technical officer at Tesla and created his own company, Redwood Materials, purely with the intent of recycling EV batteries. The bulk of the batteries now that come through the facility actually consumer-grade waste from your electric toothbrush to your battery drill, whatever it might be. And those materials that would formerly have just ended up in landfill, unfortunately, are now going through their facility, being repurposed and redirected to the electric vehicle industry.
0: Yeah, that's great news. And you know, we'll get into this when we talk about, I think, you know, things to consider if you're a prospective EV buyer, but battery chemistries are changing too. And you know, the the sort of predominant battery chemistry that that's been out there in a lot of electric vehicles that involves, you know, things like cobalt and nickel is really being phased out in in favor of, you know, what are called lithium iron phosphate batteries. And we'll spare you the technical details, but <laughs> they they requ- they don't require those materials, which, you know, in essence reduces the the negative impacts of, you know, trying to extract those rare earth items. So let's move to buyer considerations. Thomas, if you've got somebody who has, you know, heard good things about EVs, you know, is ready to purchase a new vehicle, Um, what should they be looking for in an EV? I
2: think as you've already mentioned, battery chemistry is an important one. Um, If you're looking for something that is bomb-proof and could last a long time, lithium-ion phosphate is worth looking for rather than the older school nickel-cobalt aluminium or nickel, cobalt, manganese. So it is worth asking that. The reason being that these newer technologies will have a longer cycle life and that it just means that the vehicle will have less battery battery degradation over time. And you can also charge them to 100% and leave them fully charged. Whereas the earlier EVs, you, you would only really charge to 80% except when you were going
0: on a road trip. Yeah, my good friend Mike who is a, you know, battery engineer has also been educating me lately on on the benefits of lithium iron phosphate. I think the one caveat is if you're, you know, looking for a vehicle today and, you know, you're not finding one that has a lithium iron phosphate battery, don't let that be the reason you go out and buy a regular internal combustion engine. You know, the existing battery technology today is still good. I have a Tesla Model 3, I've had it for 5 years and and it's been you know it's been a great car so lithium iron phosphate is certainly the future but but yeah don't let it be that that deal breaker between going electric or going back to gas
2: yeah and uh, the, the next thing to probably look at is how those batteries are cooled and really there's only one outlier here and that is the Nissan Leaf don't buy them. They still use air cooled <laughs> battery packs. And because of that, in hot climates, they really struggled to get the heat away from the batteries when you're fast charging. So they fast charge at absolutely terrible rates and it creates hot spots in the battery, which ends up causing accelerated degradation rates. The other one to look at is probably range. Um, <laughs> remember that the published versions, your mileage may vary, Um, especially in Europe and Australia, where they use the WLTP and the NEDC standards, they're bollocks, right? The US EPA (laughs) system is closer to the mark. It's reasonable if you drive sensibly that you will achieve close to EPA ranges in normal conditions, but keep in mind that in midwinter, there will be an impact on performance. And so. In that situation, what you should also be looking for is, or asking the question, does the electric vehicle have a heat pump for cabin heating? If it's just relying on resistive element heating, it will use a lot more energy in the winter to keep the cabin and or the battery pack warm.
0: And and if you're, uh, you're head spinning and thinking, how am I gonna rem- remember all these great <laughs> things that Thomas is telling us? Uh, we are gonna have links to a couple good resources on our website. Um, as well as sort of bulletized points because there is a lot to keep track of with EVs. It doesn't have to be a complex process though and the good news is all the technologies the newer technologies are moving in the direction of I think Thomas of what you're talking about. you know the, the other two things that I think are, are worth mentioning are the you know the tax incentive structure and I, I'm not going to be the one that speaks to what's going on in, in Europe but here in the US, right now there is you know a federal tax incentive of $7500 for for new electric vehicles and $4000 for used electric vehicles now there's restrictions around that the good news is there's still a bunch of cars out there that meet the parameters of the tax incentive and you can find those on fuel economy.gov if you just google fuel economy electric vehicles tax incentive it'll bring up the page we'll we'll link it as well on our website but You can go in there and see exactly, you know, which vehicles qualify for
1: the tax credit. And in addition, I think it's worth mentioning the benefits provided by different states. There's all these EV tax credits and rebates available by state anywhere from Colorado, which gives tax credits ranging from $2,000 to $8,000, depending on vehicle type, to Florida, which does jack shit for EV purchasers. Um, However, (laughs) yeah. However, different utilities also provide tax credits or rebates in some cases, uh, like in Colorado's case where XL Energy offers a $3000 rebate for the lease or purchase of a used EV and $5500 for the lease or purchase of a new EV. So, definitely worth taking Pretty a generous. look. I know, right? Not bad. So yeah, worth worth taking a look at what your state offers. Um there's definitely countless state-level benefits for owning or leasing an electric vehicle or for installing a home charger. So we'll provide a link to a helpful article in our show notes so that if you want to check out the benefits offered where you live, which you absolutely should, you can.
0: The other thing I think that's worth considering uh, is sort of the efficiency of the electric vehicle. Instead of a miles per gallon that you're used to seeing when you go buy a, you know, a gas-powered vehicle, electric vehicles in the U.S. come with a MPGe or miles per gallon equivalent, and it's a good way to sort of size up the efficiency of the car and and also really the the, the amount of resources that goes into it. So, for instance, you know the Tesla Model Three, since we're using Tesla's benchmark, uh, <laughs> gets 132 miles per gallon equivalent. The Ford Lightning is only about 70. So already you've cut your efficiency about in half, which speaks to the fact that even though we're moving to electric vehicles, we should also still be trying to keep our vehicles smaller. The worst on the scale is the uh, is the electric Hummer, which is only 47. In the big scheme of things, we really need to be thinking about how can we not just move to electric vehicles, but move to vehicles that have a lighter impact on the planet. And buying a Hummer is not one of those things. It consumes a massive amount of resources. And, and I think it sets the wrong precedent, which is that, you know, somehow we can consume our way out of this problem when in reality we need to be consuming less. I don't know. Other thoughts, Flora, Thomas? Uh,
2: better still buy an e-bike. I mean, at the end of the day, you're using, what, probably my, a decent e-bike has half a kilowatt hour of battery storage on board. So... You're about 1 120th the amount of battery compared to even a Tesla Model 3. Um, And you're going to get probably 30 times the the fuel economy.
0: And I think it's more enjoyable in most conditions.
2: Oh, totally. Absolutely (laughs) addictive. Can't get enough of it.
1: Well, I want to ask, have you guys heard about the solid state battery with Toyota? What's the story there? Or do we not?
2: Pipe dream. I wouldn't even talk about it. (laughs) seriously i i think toyota gets way too much airtime like i i am far more impressed with what the chinese are doing at the moment i think this whole solid state thing with toyota is just them trying to stall people from not going out and buying other people's vehicles because it's not like they've even got you know masses of production pre-production prototypes out there in the wild they were just too late at moving on this everyone else is so far ahead of them that's a good point. Not to mention they are one of the biggest lobbyists trying to stop the adoption of emissions standards, fuel efficiency requirements, and electric vehicle adoption rates. So yeah, I, I, I mean, we, I, there
0: I was just giving them all this airtime, but basically they don't deserve any.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so I, I think in summary, uh, for prospective buyers, there's a number of you know high level things to consider your tax incentives, the efficiency of the vehicle, you know, what kind of battery that that you're purchasing, how it's cooled. Again, we'll have, you know, links on our website. I guess with that, are there any other EV related items we should be highlighting?
2: Yeah, I think probably this uh, adoption of the North Ameri- American charge standard by um, some of the EV companies in the US, other than um, uh, just Tesla. So it basically it was Tesla's proprietary connector and they opened the standard recently. And well, mm. the two most important ones, I guess, uh, Ford and General Motors have now adopted it. Um, and that will also give those drivers access to some, not all of, but the majority of Tesla's supercharger network. And basically everyone else is starting to pile on to Outside the US, it doesn't really matter so much. Um, but the other one was... Inductive charging, So, and I I see this as the game changer. Um, The reason is that I believe that electric vehicles are going to be a big part of the whole grid balancing in the future because there is so much capacity in an electric vehicle compared to average household use, and it can participate as part of the grid is going to be monumental for allowing a larger penetration of renewable energy. And Elon has mentioned that by 2025, Teslas will have bi-directional charging capabilities and that will likely be using a inductive charge pad. So you don't have to worry about plugging your car in anymore. And I suspect whatever Tesla adopts, the others will follow.
1: Wow, that's that's huge. I mean, that'll be really interesting to see how that'll help make the grid cleaner, you know, how that will kind of have a little positive feedback loop going. That's going to be really, really fascinating to see how that develops.
2: Yeah, like there there are quite a few studies underway at the moment regarding, you know, bi-directional charging and things, but they all require Mm -hmm. that the driver gets home and plugs their car in straight away. And that's okay for the geeks among us that are trying to do the right thing for renewable energy, but for the average person, they don't care so much. They just want it to be seamless. And I think that they will participate because, of course, there will be some financial incentives involved in this as well. But so long as I just don't
0: have to worry about it. It just does its thing. It is exciting for sure. And it would be interesting to watch it. I don't know what that says about society is that people can't, <laughs> you know, make the effort to go plug their vehicle in. <laughs> but yeah, it, you know, futuristic pull up and your car charges and can, you know, Ooh. release energy back to the grid. That's, that sounds pretty sweet. Well, I think all this leads to the classic question that we always ask which is what can we do? And this week, I suppose it's the obvious. Uh, <laughs> consider making the leap to an electric vehicle. And that could be in in different forms, right? So if you're looking for the car that can meet all your needs where you need more range, you know, you can go out and and purchase that new EV or or used EV. If you're still not convinced about where an electric vehicle fits into, you know, your transportation options, consider go out and leasing them. There's some really great leasing programs out there um, that make for a cheap monthly payment. And it's sort of a, you know, risk-free way to, to try out the technology if you're not quite comfortable enough yet. And, and the best of all, which Thomas already plugged is, you know, consider going out and trying that e-bike, um, you know, you could sort of laugh about it. But if you're able to, you know, use that as a secondary transport option, it has huge benefits. Uh, obviously above and beyond just the the benefits of the climate you know in terms of saving resources and you know that they're more fun to ride anyway so we'll have some uh, helpful links in our show notes again to help hopefully make this a, a simpler process for everybody um, but there's great EVs out there on the market today in almost every category it was a little different a few years ago but you know with where we are today no matter if you're looking for a small SUV a sedan or you really need that truck, (laughs) there (laughs) are options out there for you. Any other thoughts, you guys? No, I mean,
2: except the fact that if you're not thinking about buying one, there might be somebody else that you know that is thinking about buying a new car. And the most important thing now is we should just not be bringing any new internal combustion vehicles onto the roads. Like the, the days are finished. So the work you can do to convince them to move in the right direction is work
0: well done. That's a great point, Thomas. The best way to convince somebody to take the leap to an EV is to hear from family and friends. So if you're an EV owner, enthusiast, get out there and spread the good word. So before we sign off this week, just wanted to make a quick announcement to our listeners. We're going to be taking a little summer vacation here on Climate Optimus. So our next episode will be airing on July 25th as scheduled. But then we're taking a four-week break and back again on August 29th. So mark your calendars. Well, that's a wrap for this week's episode. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Climate Optimus is made possible by Climate Stewards Collective. You can find us on the web at climateoptimist.co. And don't forget to follow us on social at Climate Optimus Podcast.